will always do the Wayne's World thing. I can't help it. <laughs> I feel proud though because I'm the one who showed you that movie. It's true. I feel like every time we start, I need to do the countdown. I don't know why. <laughs> Even though it's, it's a, just something. I, yeah. It's a pretty casual setup. It just happens. It does. I don't even plan it. It's just, I just, that's what I want to do. It's the instinct. Yeah. Just like mine is when I listen to Bohemian Rhapsody to do the head banging. Yeah. In the car scene. Although I think I would have done that if I hadn't watched Wayne's World too. Well, because we're living, breathing humans and that's what we do. If you can listen to that song or any by Freddie oh, Mercury. I was talking about Queen. the countdown, not the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. You th- <laughs> No. I only care about me, so. You don't, you don't have any sort of emotional, spiritual reaction to No, Bo- I do. I, like, Queen. I love that song. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is that if anyone can listen to that song without wanting to sing every vocal, every background vocal, every guitar riff, then they're a sociopath. And that is fact. That's strong. It's a strong word. Which is worse, a sociopath or a psychopath? Because they are different. Oh, because a sociopath, people call actors manipulates people and stuff. Well, they well yeah, pe- like I guess I know I, I know the definition of a sociopath better, better than I do than a psychopath. Is I don't it, know if I know that the actual. I mean, I know what a psychopath is, but to explain it, maybe I don't know what. It does is. it mean that they have to have some sort of diagnosable psychosis? These are questions for my therapist. I would. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. Psych- right. Yeah. See who needs a psychology degree. Guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do what we came here to do. All right. Start the intro. Welcome to Source Material. I'm Marissa Gall here with Jared Blue. Hello. And today we are going to sit back, relax, and talk about the beauty that was the making of the Princess Bride for this footnotes because I had a bit of a shit day. And I want to talk about my newfound love of Andre the Giant. Yeah, a there's a lot of good. Uh, there's so many a lot good, of good stories. Anecdotes. And so this, um, what we're going to be talking about in particular is Carrie Ellis's memoir called "As You Wish: Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride," a very long subtitle. <laughs> and it's unique because it's his memoir, but he has pull quotes from everybody on the cast and crew basically kind of scattered throughout his story. So if he's telling a story that might involve somebody else that, um, he was either acting with or working with, um, he has little excerpts from them, which I think is very cool. Yeah. It was good. Something I haven't really seen in a memoir before. So that's what we're talking about. It's a great book. It's a really quick read. If anyone wants to go grab it. And yeah, what was, I guess my question for you, Mm -hmm. Jared, what was your favorite kind of story that he told or moment that he described? Hmm. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff in this, in the making of this movie that was, I thought was actually really cool. Um, I didn't know so much of what went on behind the scenes. No. And why would we? It seemed like there was this cool camaraderie of everybody working together to try to make the best adaptation of that book as they possibly could because people loved it so much. It's so loved. And obviously we're obviously big fans of it. If you listen to the prior episode or if you're just a living, breathing human who's seen that movie. Um, But there's so much I didn't appreciate about it before I read the book. Okay. One, one 
one that sticks out to me is uh, um, when Billy Crystal came on set to to film his <laughs> scenes. Like, because he was only on set for a few days filming his scenes. Yeah. Um, who was the actress who? Oh, I don't want to leave her out. I don't. She's amazing. She's she's on um, um, Kimmy Schmidt. Is it Carol something? It's Carol Kane. All right, that's the actress Carol Kane. Oh, I wish she was related to Michael Kane, but they spell their last names differently. Mm. And she's definitely like a New York or Northeast coaster. And he's definitely British. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Carol Kane. She yeah, was so when amazing. They were, when they were on set filming their scenes, um, they, they pretty much ad-libbed everything or like improvised, improv, yeah. improved everything. They had like an outline. Yeah. And, uh, they had, he had, uh, he talked about it himself in the book, Carrie Ellis, but then also I think he had quotes from a few other people talking about Billy Crystal in there. Yeah. Billy and they were all talking Carol. about how during when they were filming that he was so damn funny that mm-hmm. everybody was busting up constantly. I think Rob Reiner and Carrie Ellis had to leave the room cause they were messing up so many takes Honestly, of laughing and, yeah. uh, which was a problem because Carrie Ellis was supposed to be in the scene dead. Oh yeah. As, as like a <laughs> n- nearly dead person. So they instead used a dummy for him cause he couldn't get through it. And also, and this will, this will be uh, more funny once we talk about some, the preparation for the fighting scene, the big, uh, the greatest sword fight in yeah. modern yeah. history, whatever. Um, the only injury Mandy Patinkin sustained. Mm-mm. Carrie. No. That Mandy man- Patinkin sustained <gasps> oh. was while Billy Crystal was filming and he was laughing so Shit. hard. He was trying to stop laughing and he bruised a rib. Shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. He bruised a rib. That's the only out of all the physical stuff they did. That was his only <laughs> injury was bruising a rib, laughing to Billy Crystal's um, improv, improv. So, well think about, they did that take over a couple of days and yeah. the one that I, I remember them talking about that he improvised the most was when they're sending them on their way. And you know, the famous line is have fun storming the castle. Yeah, yeah. But he did that take probably over 50 times. And each time he said something different. And I think in the book they were like, or no, I watched a clip of like a documentary and he he said a, a pretty obscene phrase that they bleeped out. And they're like, "What was it?" I can't remember. Oh, they bleeped it out. They bleeped it out, Damn and so it. I and I didn't um, have the closed captioning on. I was really sad because I I was uh, I went on YouTube to try to find outtakes from this yes. movie, and I couldn't find them. No. So if anybody knows where the hell those are at, email it to us because I want to watch it. That is but such I, an amazing. I, scene. In the book, they said it was available somewhere on YouTube, and there was a line in there where he said, "Do you have you, to buy it though?" I don't know. Download I don't it? Know. I couldn't find it. So either way, it that is the scene alone is funny, but knowing yeah. how Rob, the director, couldn't even be in the room is mm-hmm. beautiful. And apparently it was blazing hot on set because they had all the lights and then it was a like abnormally warm day in the UK and so Yeah. Oh, were, that one and uh, then uh there was another one that I really liked. But wouldn't you why don't you share one? Oh, I'm sharing one. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> what's your like favorite anecdote? So a lot of my favorite stories from the book deal with Andre the giant and most notably ones just from his personal childhood, um, that he related, I think to carry on like some of their drunken adventures mm-hmm. <laughs> that they took together. So there's one that makes me happy and sad. 
and it's just so insane. So Andre the Giant is actually French, and he grew up right. in a farm town in France. And <clears throat> he has gigantism, which is a, an actual disability of your pituitary gland. Right. And that's why he's so tall. And he was in like middle school and he had gotten so big, you know, everyone's having a normal growth spurt, mm-hmm. but Andre just fucking excelled in that department. And so he got too big for their school bus and he thought he was going to have to drop out of school and he had a savior in the unlikely hero of Samuel Beckett. Who is that again? I know. Nobody knows. I don't know who that is. He's a famous playwright and he wrote most notably Waiting for Godot, which was a a stage play. And then there's also a movie and it's, it's very funny and ridiculous and a little absurdist. It's just. So a famous author. A famous screenwriter playwright had a, had a summer home kind of down the way from well, that Andre's. makes sense because the richest person in town would be the one with the convertible yeah so yeah so his car was a convertible him. and so he kind of swooped in and saved the day and was able to take yeah. him to school because how, he had an open as a tall top person car. i don't know how the fuck he got around anywhere he he i have no because idea he I have traveled no clue. all over I would, wrestling i would think he, how did they get him around i would think he took a lot of like road transport when he could. And then if he had to fly, he bought like he, two or three flew, seats. They had to fly a lot. They went, they went all over the world. That's true. He had like over 300. I wonder if they had, oh, I almost wonder if they had a private jet for him or something, but I well, mean, just getting like around seventies and eighties, but just though. even getting, a, getting a taxi or something. And you're seven, four. I mean, everything's got to be uncomfortable, but think of how far he can get in just one step. Can you imagine my stride? I would have to I be jogging. I don't think that advantage helps when you're going like, over the ocean, different countries. But like, if I had to walk next to Andre the Giant, it wouldn't be a walk. It would be a quick paced step. You know, you know those people in those walking competitions where your both feet can't be off the ground at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so they're like shaking their little butts. Yeah. That would be me trying to keep up with him, but not run because I wouldn't want to insult him. Yeah. But because of how big he was too, he had a lot of health problems. And that is a big reason why he drank so much is because... There was no, there was not enough painkillers yeah. in the world. Well, I remember, I remember reading in that book, um, he apparently would drink like 12 bottles of wine and like three or four bottles of whiskey in a night. That just sounds and like one of our night, he's, nights. He out. would just be like buzzed or barely Just like buzzed. a little buzz. But his drink of choice is really good. I mean, it's fucking amazing. He called it, it was called the American. <laughs> what does and, that say about us? <laughs> yeah. yeah Seriously we though. Or the perception. Yeah. And uh, it was served in a pitcher. Classy. Which is probably about the right size for him. It would look normal in his hand. Yeah, it would. And uh, it was just a mix of a bunch of different liquor. That's all it was. There wasn't, there wasn't a, the mixer was just other liquors. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he had like it down to a science, what he put in there, but it was just a bit, a pitcher full of hard liquor. And would that and he would do down, the trick? He would, I don't, I don't, I, I remember him saying he normally just got buzzed. Well, I think that was what he ordered when he but, went out with Carrie Elwes, right? Like yeah, when so they kind of Carrie Elwes went out one night in New York when the movie came out and uh, they bar hopped a little bit together, but he just drank beer because it's like, uh, there's no way I can keep up with Andre. Do you remember the story about their first table read in London? 
No. So I don't think anybody witnessed it besides the hotel staff, but Carrie wrote about it in his book that after their first table read, Andre stayed down at the bar because he was a drinker. He liked his beverages. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I do remember this. And he got up to leave. They had called a car for him because he's Andre the Giant. You need a specific right. car. He got up to leave and I guess he had been successful in his endeavor to get to get hammered shit faced. He was sauced. Yeah, he was pissed. He was all the words that people around all the world. Sure. Fubard. That's the one he was Fubard. He stood up and imagine a seven, four, 500 pound man just falling over in the middle of your lobby in one of the nicest hotels yeah, he in London. He passed out cold like in front of the doors. And they tried to get him out and they couldn't they couldn't lift him. So they so put he, rope he just, around him. Yeah, they just put rope around him. Like valet rope. Him. Well also I He woke I, up and then just left. Well the <laughs> night the night that him and Carrie Elvis went out in New York, there was a guy who kept showing up at every bar and uh, watched Fuck. them and Carrie asked Andre, he was like, who is that guy? Do you know him? Is he like a stalker? And he's like, oh no, that's the cops. So apparently, apparently one time Andre the giant would, would go out in New York a lot, but he went out one night and he was standing waiting for a taxi and like passed out on a, like a woman and he's huge, obviously. Oh no. So he's a little bit of a risk when you have a 500 pound guy just like landing on people. So after that, anytime he would go out, the NYPD would send somebody along with him just to make sure that didn't happen. It wasn't to like... It was just, oh it's just for the safety God. of everybody else, basically. But, like, but he would buy all the guy, all their drinks right. for the night. So, well, it, it's like, it, that's a, that's a testament to who he is kind of as a person, because there is a lot of parallels between Fezzik and Andre. Yeah, definitely. They started wrestling really young and they were outcasts. Well, that was one thing that I thought was really cool is, I mean, first off, they both also just grew massively large at a young age. Right. But then also they traveled around the, both the character and Andre traveled around the world fighting. Yeah. Like that, that's such an interesting parallel. I mean, you can't think of better casting for that part. No, absolutely. And I think he William basically Goldman was the was, real life. Yeah. Fezzik. I mean, yeah. Well, he's also kind of a gentle giant too. The same way that Fezzik is. Well, he would do things that would kind of make you feel less intimidated by him. And that was really sweet. He like, he would call you boss. So you would feel, right. I don't know if not physically at his level, then maybe yeah. like a, a, but he was still terrifying apparently to, to some people <laughs> because the, I, the first time Robin Wright met him, she walked in the room and he stood up and she screamed and ran out cause she just the sheer size of well, him. first was, impression. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would have, I mean, I could have never thing. imagined doing that to somebody. But he wasn't doing anything. But it's just like, no, I know. It's just, I guess, I guess he, that's how big he was that it was just like, that was their initial reaction of like, oh fuck, this is something that can kill me. I need to get out of here. It's like your primal yeah. instincts. You're like, that, that's just how massive he is. This is predator. Is. I am prey. Right. So he wasn't just <laughs> tall. He was just, yeah. He was, he was a hefty man and he actually did never work out that line yeah, in that the book. Cool. That's true. He was like, I really don't work out. I'm just a big man. Yeah. He so was there's just, a lot of cool parallels between him. He, yeah, he's well, also, so sweet. Uh, yeah, and then another story that I really liked was they're obviously filming in Great Britain, so it was cold and rainy a lot. And there was one time Robin Wright was cold and she didn't have a jacket for whatever reason and he just put his hand on top of her head 
right. to warm her up because it's, he always ran super hot. Yeah, they said that when just, <laughs> they had to do like the scenes where he's like climbing or any kind of the physical scenes, like there was always someone with just a rag. Yeah, I think and there was like steam coming off him. He never wear a jacket because yes. he was just always warm. So he just put his hand on her head. And apparently, I mean, it worked really well, but I mean, I think that's just kind of a funny. Just imagine like. But that's also how massive he was. His yeah, whole hand. Could cover His Robin hand Wright's covered head. her whole head. My God. Um, that so is. That's, yeah, that's. It's, he's just, he's one of like, out of every character and actor I read about, I have such a respect for all of them. But he was the underdog coming in, right? He doesn't have any acting experience besides, you know, the performance of wrestling. And he's one of, I think, one of the most beloved characters. Oh, the other cool, the other funny thing was, uh, so he had an ATV on set to get Mm. around because he was too big to fit in the other, in that normal vehicles, everybody else, the vans, everybody else rolled around in. So he had his own ATV. And he actually had an ATV at a farm in France and he had an yeah. ATV there. I so think it was still his family's farm. I think he still held on to it. Yeah. But uh, he asked Carrie Ellis if he wanted to ride it one time and Carrie was like, no, I shouldn't do it. Well, because he had a, you know, we'll talk about the sword fight, but he had, he, he had to be in well, tip top shape. Well, yeah, he's the star of the movie and like he knows he shouldn't be doing dangerous stuff that could injure him because that could set back production right. and cost millions of dollars. Ask Tom Cruise. Yeah. But uh, I guess he was persuaded eventually because he was How like, would you say no to the smiling, that's grinny true. He man was very excited for him to ride it. And uh, so he got on it and, and he didn't know what the hell he was doing. It's a ATV. complicated, it's got clutches yeah, and pedals. Yeah, so he started driving and he went over a bump and it came down and his foot got stuck in between a rock and a pedal. Literally a rock in a hard place. Yeah, and he broke Ugh. his foot. And um Was it his was foot like, or his toe? I think it was, it was his a- foot and he was oh. he was like, "Oh fuck, they're going to replace me because it was er- somewhat early on in the filming." Um and he was like, "God damn it, they're just they're going to fire me and they're going to bring in someone new." Right, because he thought he uh, couldn't do the more physical parts. Yeah, so he was like, there was a medic that came up because there was a set medic, and he was like, just put a splint on me, Mm -hmm. and he's like, nobody tell Rob that I broke my foot. The director, yeah, because uh, he thought he was going to get replaced. So he, they, she puts a splint on it, and they go to film a scene. I think it was the one between him and uh, him and uh, um, Vizzini. (laughs) Vizzini. And after the scene, Rob was like, hey, I, I know what happened. Like, you know, I found out. It's like, <laughs> word spreads. Next time you need to tell me that. Like, I'm not going to replace you, but I, you know, don't do something like that again. <laughs> he, he got the, the I'm whole, not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, but then, then he had to go to the, he went to the, uh, the, the hospital after and, and they had to fix him up there. But yeah, he filmed that scene. Well, and for the rest of the movie, well, not the rest, but in certain parts, and he points them out in the book, um, where he's filming scenes where he had to either run on his bad foot, and you can kind of see him skip and step when they're running into the fire yeah. swamp. And then there was this scene where they're like, where they're after he rescues Buttercup from Bazzini, and they're running to try to get a head start on the Count and the Prince. He sits that they they take a they take a rest while they're running away, and he sits down on a rock, and, and he. he and Rob, the director, thought it was like just a cool way to sit down, like very suave and casual. When in reality, he had his leg kind of 
straight out because he didn't want to put any weight on his broken foot. Yeah. So if you go back and rewatch that scene when he sits down kind of weird, it's because it, he didn't want to yeah, put weight on his broken it's foot. It's right when they're at the top of the cliffs and he um, is confronting Buttercup yeah. and she pushes him down into the ravine. Yeah. So it, and, and that was a big deal because they'd been training him and Mandy Patinkin had been training for like two months before the filming and Mandy Patinkin trained on his own before right. he even came out to the to location. And then they were on location for, for three fight. months before they even shot that scene. So they'd been training like eight hours a day for a few months on the sword fighting and then they would train in between um, shots and stuff on set whenever they had free time. So right. they'd been training a crazy amount of time for this and he's then he broke his foot and he's like, shit, now I can't, can't train. I can't train. And so neither of them had any experience going into it. No, they it. brought in two guys who are world renowned fencers and, and they both, I think one or both were Olympians. Like yeah. Actual and, and they Olympians. had, they had both trained um, actors before for other movies and they worked on star, star Wars, Wars was yeah. the big one. And, um, so after that, I guess the trainers just had him while he was recovering work from the waist up right. on the choreography. Well, and at the end, um, like going into the sword fight, right. That's supposed to be the greatest sword fight of all yeah. time. They had been rehearsing for basically five months and yeah. they do the, they do kind of like a week or two before they do a final walk, th- a walk. Yeah. They show it to Rob Reiner. They in real show time. it. And they're, he's like, this is only three minutes. This is supposed to be the greatest. You, I need two to three more minutes yeah. added on the week before. And then he changed the scenery. He's like, fuck it. We're going to put in stairs and a cliff and you're going to do a somersault yeah, it was over like a wa- bar. Old broken down tower. Yeah. It looks in. like an old castle. That's kind of the ruins of. And so they had to, well, yeah, they got so good at it that, it just went way too fast because that's they, they the pace so they much. set was the pace really was so fast that it really was fast. it went shorter so yeah and and interestingly when they were they had to go back and add two minutes so they sat down with the Mandy Tinkin and uh, Carrie Ewis sat down with the trainers and went back and watched old movies with like amazing sword fights in them because right. they were like this is the greatest supposed to be the greatest you sword fight in modern time that. so we need. Well, not only emulate, but it's like they were watching it and then they were thinking, how can we top this? That's true. Yeah. Right? And, um, so I thought that was really interesting. Like they had, they watched the 1930s Count of Monte Cristo and mm-hmm. a bunch of other movies with these crazy sword fights in him. Well, that's, what's so impressive is not only did they obviously put in a lot of effort, but there's no stuntmen involved. Yeah. It was all the whole sword fight was them except for the part where he swings off the bar right. in the middle of the sword fight that was a stunt up, but the actual fencing was all Mandy Patinkin Which and Carrie Elwes. They learned to do in the book and in the movie, there's like that pivotal scene where Anigo says first, you are better than I am. Yeah. They, switch, but I have a secret. I'm not left handed. They switch hands. Yeah. And then the man in black right. does the same exact thing. He's like, well, I'm not left handed. Right. So they both had to learn to fence with both hands. That is crazy. At like equal, you know, skill. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't write my name with my left hand. Yeah. That's, it was, yeah, that's insane. But so there was all of that on the line when he broke his foot. It was, but do you see people, your actions have consequences. <laughs> um, they, yeah, they shot that, the sword fight a lot of times. I think they, they did it, it over was 10 like days or something like that. At least 
a week and went through it at least a week but damn i mean they it turned i, I wouldn't be surprised if they still had it's, like bits I, it's, and pieces if you go stuck online and mind. look at greatest sword fights in movie history that is like on the top of most lists now it is beautiful and what i love about that scene is that it's not just pure fencing there's banter and there's a lot of wit in yeah. it and so one of wesley's most famous lines is in response to Inigo asking, you know, I have to know who you are. I must know who you are. Right. And he says, get used to disappointment. And then um, Mandy actually kind of ad-libbed and kind of improvised. He was supposed to just kind of lunge and keep fighting, but he just decides to slightly shrug and go, okay. Yeah. Very quiet. That fits with the character so well though. Because there, I don't, there's something about Inigo that I love, but I just, I can't, pinned down exactly what's so amazing about how he portrayed him. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. Um, but that wasn't the only, the broken foot wasn't the only, or toe, whatever it was, wasn't the only inj- injury he sustained. Um, hit what during filming of the scene oh, when him yeah. and Buttercup are coming out of the fire swamp yes. and Rugen and the Prince have um, caught, up to them. caught up to them and are uh, capturing them. Um, the part where Count Rugen knocks out Wesley in the movie. Mm-hmm. So um, Chris Guest, the guy who played Count Rugen, when they were filming that, he was bringing the sword down, but he wasn't actually making any contact with his head. Right, movie magic. So it was looking really weird when they were filming. The timing was off between him coming, the sword coming down and him going down, looking knocked out. And Carrie Ellis was just like, dude, just tap me on the head a little, like lightly with the hilt. So I know when, when it hits and then we can sync up the timing of me going down. Yeah. And Chris guys is like, all right, yeah, well let's try it. And, um, grant, like keep in mind they're using, he's using an actual sword. Rob was adamant that this. they were real. Like, this swords. is a real heavy ass sword that he's using. So he goes to swing it down and instead of at, tapping lightly, he accidentally goes down full force and he actually knocks out, um, <laughs> Carrie Ellis in real life. So the scene that made it in the movie, it was that one. So if we go back and watch the movie and see the part, part where he gets knocked yeah. out, that's actually him getting knocked out. It's authentic. So Mandy Patikin got a, a bruised rib from laughing too hard and uh, Carrie Ellis <laughs> got a broken foot and got knocked out with a sword. He got a straight up concussion. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. So actually, I forgot about this one, but maybe my favorite, one of my favorite anecdotes from this was, they, so they're filming the fire swamp scenes Okay. And you remember this inside the rat suit? There's, uh, Oh fuck. Oh shit. Yeah. Cause it was all, it was all practical effects. So they actually had like a little person inside the rat suit to film this tatted out, like badass. Apparently he was tatted up. He's a stunt man too. Badass stunt man. But he happened to also be a little person. Yeah, but he was. They he there was there was. I think they had a. They brought in a couple stuntmen. Yes, the ROUSs. Yeah, for the yeah. Fuck, I forgot. And, uh, but apparently it was like well one it was super fucking hot inside. There's just like a bunch of material surrounding them. But they were in these covered in hair. And then under lights. Yeah. Ooh. But there was one one day they were supposed to be filming the scene where Wesley's getting attacked. Is, I think they had been rehearsing and this was like the day of filming. Yeah. It was the day of filming there. He was supposed to be getting attacked. That's the scene where he gets his shoulder gets bitten and, and he has to roll around. The stuntman doesn't show up and everybody's like, what the fuck? Where is he? Cause this is like a huge scene and he's, and you know, he's a reliable guy at this point. So, right? And they're, well, then they're like, what the fuck do we do? We can't like, how do we, <laughs> so what they ended up doing was they just grabbed, um, 
like an empty dummy of the rat and use that instead and he was like when he's fighting it it's like him controlling it it's Carrie Elwes yeah there's yeah. nobody actually inside of it and it, yeah. you can tell it kind of looks a little off um well actually did that make it into it no it because didn't. because what happened was they got a they got a call from no, jail. no no he showed up he showed up he showed up and they're like dude like well it was so sweet because rob's first question i think was like are you okay yeah they were worried not about like him. what the fuck yeah they were worried about him i would have probably gone to the what the fuck <laughs> yeah but they're nicer than but me. he was super late and uh yeah so i don't remember re- the story so he regaled them a tale here it is he is a little person and he went out drinking and he has a um specialized car that's right. He has a he has a car that's adapted because he can't reach the pedals at the distance that they are. And so he got pulled over and the officer was like very confused at how he was driving a car because of his his stature and then was like, are you drunk? He's like, I'm not going to lie. I've had a few drinks. And then they just throw him in jail. They just yeah threw him in jail without doing like, I don't think much of a field sobriety test or anything. And even if they could, like he's a little person, they have a lot of gate issues and like, but he was out drinking. He was out in all honesty. He got drunk, drove, got thrown in jail and then had to get bailed out. Yeah. Before getting to set. Yeah. And I think everybody was, they thought it was hilarious. Yeah, That was hilarious. And it is. And I forgot about that, but they, he did get in the suit and they used the ones with him in it. Yeah. So inside the suit is that tatted up stunt man. If you see an R O U S there's probably a little person yeah. in that suit. Do you have any other favorite moments? Um, Oh, there was another scene in the fire swamp in the uh, quicksand or the, the, it's a snow stand in the book and thunder stand in the movie. Light, lightning, sand lightning, movie. you know, some sort of natural sand, whatever it was the, where uh buttercup gets sucked under by the, by that. Um, originally they were going to have Wesley go feet first into the sand to save right. her. Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. due to the, the, the way the practical effect worked, they didn't want somebody diving head first because there was, was a, a trap, trap door and they like had it, pit. they had it rigged to open and in, into the pit um, like safely, but they didn't want to mess with it just well, in case it didn't open. They didn't want somebody to break their neck. Yeah. If they didn't get the timing right. And, uh, Ew. yeah. Ew. Well, Carrie else was like, this doesn't fit with the character at all. Like this doesn't seem heroic and it just seems, it doesn't, it seems off. It's like, we need to dive. He needs to it dive head first. Derpy. Yeah. He's like, he needs to dive head first. He's going to like, you know, save somebody he loves. You're going to reach down and pull them up. You got to go. So, head first. um, yeah, they, Rob Reiner was reluctant at first, I think, but they brought the stunt double in and practiced it a couple times and it worked. Yeah. They got it on like the first take. Yeah. I think. And then, then after that, Carrie Ellis went ahead and did it. And it, I mean, it turned out really well. And I think that's a really cool instance of the actor, like affecting the final outcome of the movie. Well, and that. a lot of the actors said Rob is an actor's director. He takes into account their interpretation of the character and what they think that they would do. Yeah. But another interesting thing about that scene. So the fire swamp scenes were the first scenes they ever filmed right. and they were done in studio. And one of the first scenes, scenes, it might've been maybe even the first day, um, buttercup, they're going through the fire swamp and her dress catches fire from the random burst of flames. And her, yeah. her dress is made of flame retardant material. So 
for Wesley's character to put it out. He's just got to stamp it out. He's just got to stamp it out. He's kind of got to slap it together. Right. And so they had to go through this whole training because there's obviously a fire hazard. Right. Yeah. They had, they had like firefighters standing by. Yeah. They took it very seriously, more seriously than I I thought they would. I thought they were kind of be like, fuck it. But they took every precaution and unfortunately, William Goldman did not make that meeting. He was on the set, but he wasn't in that meeting. Yeah. And he had forgotten the screenwriter had forgotten that he wrote in that her dress catches well, fire. He's watching from his perspective. He's watching the scene and all of a sudden her, he just <laughs> forgot that it was, that was supposed to and happen. And she catches fire. And so he like, he screamed. He's like someone like she's on fire. Someone help. And <laughs> Rob Reiner had to yell cut and it ruined the take. And he returned around. I was like, what the fuck dude? Like you're the, this is supposed to happen, man. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. I love that he was truly genuinely. Yeah, well scared. apparently he was pretty nervous actually went during the filming. Well, it was the most favorite thing he's ever written. Yeah. I would be nervous too. Yeah. But it, you know what, it turned out okay now, but granted when it first came out, it was not the success that it ha- that it that it is now. No, yeah. It did pretty poorly, and that we talked about it before that they didn't know how to market it. Yeah, so that that was one of the reasons why a lot of studios turned it down because they didn't they didn't. That was like, how do we? What is this movie? How right. do we market is this it a movie? Children's story? Is it a love story? Well, is it a comedy? Way, is it a satire? Is it all the way these they other ended things? up marketing it was so when you so bad i mean the movie poster was of the grandpa reading to the kid yes which is a important part of the movie but that's not it's you know 90 percent of the screen time or more is on you know the fairy tale part of it right, right? that's that's the crux i mean that's the whole movie right and um and I think they also marketed it as like a, a children's fantasy. Basically, like they fairy t- children's fairy tale. Yeah, that's how they they portrayed it to the public in, in like the trailers and stuff. And then these parents would take their kids to see it, and the kids wouldn't really like it. And the parents would be like, "Oh, this isn't really necessarily inappropriate nor appropriate yeah, for kids." Just, but they found it funny, and so it, it there took wasn't a, while. a lot of uh, well, there was no nobody went to see it to start. Nobody went to see it, and. No all the actors had kind of, I mean, it came out and it, it got decent reviews and it, it, I mean, it didn't, it didn't necessarily bomb, but it wasn't a hit. There wasn't a lot of people who saw it. And, uh, so the actors all just kind of moved on to the next thing. They're like, Oh, you know, it is what it is. You know, some, they had a good experience. For them, it's probably normal. It's like, Yeah. yeah, they wished it had, gone well but it you know it didn't it didn't do it wasn't really a hit at the box office project is gonna and so they they just kind of moved on um and uh like a year and a half after that the vhs came out and And all of a sudden was new yeah all of a sudden like uh i think mandy patinkin had a little blurb in the book he was talking about this where all of a sudden he would, would be walking around and somebody would like say like his character's name or my name uh, is Inigo Montoya or like a quote to him and he'd be like what the hell's going on because it, they <laughs> what just, a they, fucking they all, weird they all experience kinda, yeah they all kind of it didn't get a lot of fanfare and they all kind of moved on from it and they think okay that's that's what that's done it's not going to be a hit and then all of a sudden it got so much attention from everybody yeah and it, it slowly built into like the cult classic that is today but that's for I mean for think of how bizarre that would be you're just walking on the street well, especially day. back then where yeah. you know that's like maybe the first time that happened because there was no way to have on-demand access to a movie before that right you saw it so in it just, theaters it wasn't and that's normal it. that somebody would come that late and 
and know what it, yeah the reactions would come that late well and i think rob was the one talking about how had it not been for vhs this movie might have been kind of forgotten because people would see it and have the initial thoughts that maybe someone would looking at it like oh the name's kind of childish maybe it's like a childhood movie but then what happened was parents were watching it with their kids and they're like shit this is fucking funny. Yeah. And then they started gifting it and then it kind of started becoming this underground cult classic. And now, I mean, we were born fucking what? Six years or so after it was even made. Yeah. We did not grow up with it. Right. But yet, I mean, I know I own two copies of this movie. I love it. Everyone that I mention it to has at least heard of it. Yeah. If nothing else. Yeah. It's a really well-known movie now, but yeah. And I think it took William Goldman until the 25th anniversary viewing to realize it wasn't a hoax. Like people actually love the movie. Well, yeah, because he never, I mean, during the, the premieres of the movie, it wasn't, didn't have a lot of huge fanfare so that he had never seen the film with an audience before. Right. And during that, they had a 25th anniversary viewing or showing in New York and a lot of the actors were there and William Goldman was there. And I think this was 2013. 2012. 2012. And uh, it was the first time he saw it with an audience and people were cheering and like talk, yelling along with the lines. And mm-hmm. I guess it was really emotional for him because he was like, holy shit. Like I, he, I guess he just, he, he knew it was big, but he did. I, maybe he didn't realize what kind of impact he it had, had to see it with that. his own eyes. Um, I'm getting I thought teary that was because, really cool, <sighs> but it took until 2012 for him to get that. Yeah you know, 25 years after the movie came out to get that kind of gratification. I mean, he was, he was this kind of a self deprecating person and very kind of humble in a weird way. Like he wasn't, that comes very, very much through in his writing. Oh yes. So I think for him to actually sincerely see that and believe it is a huge testament to kind of the fandom around it that he was like, Oh shit. Yeah. They're not, no one's like pulling my leg. It's not a joke. Did you know Andre would go, to random viewings when he was wrestling and sit in the back and watch. Oh yeah. That's in the book. Yeah. I find that so sweet because he, he loved, he didn't love obviously watching himself. He loved seeing people react to it. That must've been a really cool experience. I think he, I think it was probably, I think Carrie at least described it that when he passed away, a lot of them went to his funeral and a lot of his family said that was the highlight of his life was getting to work with you guys. And yeah, that he's really made this cool. lasting. I love Andre the giant and I have such an appreciation for him and a, a special place in my heart now that I didn't have before. As much as I, I love Andre the giant though, I was reading a really interesting part of the book by Carrie and obviously the main characters are buttercup and Wesley, but like we haven't talked about buttercup a lot. A lot of people don't think of the Princess Bride and think of how much they love Buttercup. And I realized I was one of those people. I thought she was just kind of well, yeah, there. I, th- I think we mentioned in, in in the podcast the Did we? That it was she play, kind of played the straight man. Maybe we, we didn't, did. but she kind of plays the straight man of the movie. She doesn't she, have a lot of comedic lines no. um to work with. She is the one who sets everyone else up for their, for their scenes. She sets Wesley up for the, as you wish she sets up (laughs) one of my favorite lines. And I think I said this in the podcast is, um, Prince Humperdinck. He's like, if not, would you choose me as an alternative to suicide? Like she sets up these hilarious, but she doesn't have a lot of, um, she doesn't get the memorable. 
she plays her part and that is to be the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's how it is in the book. That's how it is in the movie. But think of how hard it would be to just keep a straight fucking face the whole time. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Not one bit. So I just wanted her to have some appreciation because she doesn't have a lot of character moments. Well, I know Carrie Elwes in the, in the, in the book, um, he talked about how he he was like, you know, they kind of had a, like a love for each other. Well that, but he was saying that, you know, she was underappreciated because of that. I think. Yeah. She didn't get a lot of the, the kind of funny material. People don't quote buttercup lines. Right. You know, people don't think of her immediately as one of the standout characters. Yeah. She kind of drives the plot a little bit, but she, I think she did a wonderful job and she deserves her due amongst all the other great characters in this wonderful book that was made into a a wonderful movie. It was a very, very funny memoir. I would definitely recommend if you got some time. He did a good job. We probably covered most of it actually, but it's still worth a read. I was listening to us describe this and I'm like, welcome to the podcast that just describes point for point the plot of Princess Bride and all the background information. You probably don't need to read the book now, but you should because there's a lot of interesting parts about the um, Wally Shawn who plays... Um, Vizzini. Yeah, there's stuff we didn't cover. It's there's plenty of stuff. It, we it's didn't a cover. good if you got the time and you're and you're interested. It's worth the read for sure. And because it has the input from all the other actors and yes. crew members, it's it's an interesting memoir to read. Yeah, you get you get all the points of view instead of just Carrie's, which is right. really fun and exciting. So yeah, I guess that wraps up our discussions for Princess Bride. Very sadly, I enjoyed this one. Can we watch it tonight? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's cut that out. Um, the perfect movie. Maybe was, not yeah. the perfect. It was by far. It's been our our um, our most favorite adaptation. Yeah, I, we had we had fun doing it. It was fun to. It was a ton of fun to read. Yeah, it was a ton of fun to watch. It there was. It's just pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't read it do it. If you haven't seen the movie, fuck off. I don't know. Who are you? It's a little harsh. Just kidding. That's Some my mom. People haven't seen a lot of movies. That's my mom. She hasn't seen. I just learned today. You haven't seen the little rascals. Uh, honestly, if they haven't seen the movie, they're probably not listening to our podcast. <laughs> well, that's probably not the, uh, the kind of person who's going to be listening to that's this. That's not our dem- demographic. Probably not. Um, yeah. So that, that are sadly that discussion we're done with that one. Yes. A lot I of interesting stuff, a lot of good stories, but yes, on the horizon, we've got some good things coming. Then next time we're going to be covering the fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. Another um, very easy read. Wes Anderson movie, which I'm excited. I love Wes Anderson. So I'm excited to get into this one. You introduced me to him. So, and I have quickly become a fan. So I'm yeah, excited to talk about him. All right. Well, I think that does it for this one until next time. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>